welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 30th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 30. Uh, As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter in the Bible, and then I offer a very brief explanation of the key ideas, themes, and theology in that chapter. And my goal is, is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. Well, let's get to our reading today from Genesis 30. Genesis 30 says this, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah, go in to her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. And so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, What with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. And so she called his name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. And so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. And so she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you have taken away my son's mandrakes also? And so Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. And so she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, uh, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go. For you know the service that I have given to you. 
But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, how your livestock has fared with me. And for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will not do this for me, I will again, uh, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. And so my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. And then uh, Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plant plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flock in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flocks, he would not lay them there. And so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, camels and donkeys. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 30. Now, in verse 2 of, of our chapter today, what we see is Rachel's barrenness. It's causing further tensions to surface within Jacob's household. When Rachel demands children from Jacob in verse 1, he places the blame on God in verse 2. And while recognizing God's rule in this situation, Jacob does not pray for Rachel as his father Isaac had done for Rebekah in Genesis 25, 21 through 22. In verses 3 through 8, to overcome her barrenness, Rachel offers Jacob her servant Billa as a substitute wife in verse 3. This practice, which is also carried out by Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 16, was part of ancient Near Eastern culture. The Newsy texts from 15th century BC treat the concept of marriage and many of these texts deal with the issue of childlessness and provisions for new wives. Children born to the substitute or to the second wife are regarded as belonging to the main or even the first wife. And in this way, continuity of the family line was preserved. And for this very reason, Rachel names the two boys born to Bilna in verses 6 and 8. And once again, each name involves a wordplay, Dan and Naphtali being associated with the verbs judge and wrestle. Verses 14 through 16. And now these verses recount Leah's conception of Issachar and highlights the intensity of the dispute between the two sisters. 
On this occasion, Leah buys from Rachel the right to lie with Jacob. And having agreed to this with her sister, she says to Jacob, I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And the Hebrew term uh, translated here as mandrake, possibly love fruits, is usually understood to denote the plant mandragoria. Offerium, a species long regarded as having unusual properties. Unfortunately, no explanation is given as to why Rachel is so eager to have these mandrakes. And although the context suggests that she may have viewed this plant as increasing uh, female fertility, this and other proposals, though, must be treated uh, with great caution. Verses 17 through 21. The Lord listened to Leah. Although it is so observed in Genesis twenty nine thirty five that Leah ceased bearing after the birth of Judah, she obviously wishes to have more children. And so the Lord grants her wish, enabling her to have two more sons and a daughter. And once more, the names of the sons Issachar in verse 18 and Zebulun in verse 20 are chosen deliberately to reflect the events surrounding their births. Issachar is related to the concept of wages and Zebulun to the concept of honor. The birth of Dinah in verse uh, 21 is briefly mentioned anticipating the events of Genesis 34. Verses 22 through 24. God remembered Rachel in verse 22. After many years of waiting, Rachel eventually bears Jacob a son. The repetition of God in verse 22, it emphasizes that he is the one who has enabled Rachel to conceive and to give birth. And this is reinforced when Rachel acknowledges that God has taken away my reproach in verse 23. And since throughout Genesis, fertility is often associated with divine blessing, a woman's inability to bear children could be interpreted as reflecting divine disapproval. And given the, re- the resentment that existed between the sisters, Leah may have taunted Rachel over her inability to bear children. And as with all the other sons born to Jacob, Joseph's name is derived from a remark made by his uh, other. And in Hebrew, Joseph in verse 24 sounds like the verb add to. And so the answer to her prayer is given in Genesis 35, 16 through 20. Now in Genesis 30, 25 through 31, 18, Uh, Jacob prepares to return to Canaan. After all, he had completed 14 years of service to Laban. And so Jacob looks to return to his family in Canaan. And yet Laban is reluctant to lose Jacob's service, which has brought him considerable wealth. And as the events narrated in this section illustrate how God's blessing is mediated through Jacob, but only to those who bless him. By mistreating Jacob, Laban is eventually disadvantaged. Now in verses 27 through 30, learn by divination. The narrator here does not specify the precise method by which Laban discovers that the Lord has blessed him because of Jacob. The Israelites were later prohibited by God from practicing divination in Deuteronomy 18 verse 10 because it sought to provide knowledge by inappropriate methods. Laban's use of divination is sinful even though the information obtained is accurate. The Lord has blessed me because of you. In Genesis, all the members of the special line descended from Abraham are portrayed as mediating God's blessing to others. Name your wages. For 14 years, uh, Jacob has served Laban in order to pay the bride price for Leah and Rachel. 
and having fulfilled this obligation, which has financially benefited Laban well beyond what he might have expected, uh, Jacob now wants to provide for his own household. And so Laban, conscious of how Jacob has enriched him and eager to retain his services, asked Jacob to name his wages for remaining with him. In verses 31 through 34, as payment for his services, Jacob asked Laban to allocate to him all the speckled and spotted sheep and the goats along with every black lamb. Their distinctive markings allow these animals to be easily distinguished from those that belong to Laban. Verse 35. Having agreed to the wages, Laban secretly removes all the animals allocated to Jacob and gives them to his sons. And yet again, Laban's deceitful nature influences his treatment of Jacob. Verses 37 through 39. And so to recover the loss of speckled and spotted sheep and goats, Jacob attempts to manipulate the breeding process of the flocks by placing fresh sticks, a popular and almond and plane trees in verse 37 in the trough where the flocks were watered. And now these sticks, which have peeled white streaks in them, they correspond to the genuine uh, genetic makeup of the flocks, producing animals that are striped, speckled, and spotted in verse 39. The text should not be understood to imply any casual relationship between the sticks and the horned animals. Verse 40, Jacob separates his animals from those of Laban. Verses 41 through 42. Jacob adopts a selective breeding policy to ensure that the striped, the speckled, and the spotted sheep and goats come from the strongest animals in Laban's flock. Verse 43, having arrived in Paddan Aram with only his staff in Genesis 32.10, which Genesis 32.10 tells us, Jacob now becomes very rich. The, the very brief description of his possessions resemble earlier summaries of Abraham's wealth in Genesis 12.16 and Genesis 24.35. Now, reading about the dysfunctional families that the Lord used to establish his people, it should encourage us today. Even, even now, we, like Abraham, can fail to trust the Lord as we saw in Genesis 16. Who among us has never twisted the truth in order to get something from our parents as Jacob did? And yet, by the Holy Spirit, we repent for how we have contributed to familial family strife and know that our Creator graciously uses imperfect families today just as He has in the past. And let's be clear, Jacob's family, as we're seeing, is filled with dysfunction. This is revealed as Moses describes the birth of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jealousy between Leah and Rachel had been simmering for years since Rachel was, after all, the pretty one, and Jacob loved her more than her sister, as we see in Genesis 29, uh, 17 and Genesis 29, 30. But as we're seeing, this advantage was lessened once God opened Leah's womb. Rachel sees her sister's blessing in our chapter today and anger by her own misfortune acts far differently than the, than the Lord did when he saw Leah. And God responded kindly towards Leah, but Rachel is provoked to envy. This ungodly response prompts her a desperate cry to Jacob, uh, once more intense than Sarah or Rebecca gave when they wanted children. Jacob's reply to his favorite wife indicates that her focus on him is inappropriate. He rightly acknowledges God's sovereignty over childbearing, and his words demonstrate that Rachel has not been approaching the Almighty in prayer. Rachel's speech at Dan's birth tells us she eventually trusted the Lord, but she is determined to get things done and, and gives her servant Bilgah to Jacob to bear sons for herself. Now, given the problems Sarah's uh, similar deed produced, Rachel is clearly not acting in faith. 
And then Leah follows her lead, giving her maid Zilpah to Jacob, receiving two more sons in an attempt to one-up Rachel. This sibling rivalry would finally produce the nation of Israel and ultimately the Messiah. Thanks be to God that he can use the faults of his children to bring life into the world. Matthew Henry says, there, there was much amiss in the context and the competition between these two sisters, and yet God brought good out of this evil. John Calvin says, Moses, by exhibiting this evil in Rachel, would teach us that it is inherent in all. In order to teach us that each of us, tearing it up by the roots, may vigilantly purify himself from it. And thankfully, the Lord can use sin to advance his purposes, but the elect never take this for granted. And consider how God has used an improper motivation on your part to advance his kingdom and thank the Lord for his grace. And then repent over your sin if you have not yet done so. Now, the tension that has been present for years in Jacob's family due to the manner in which his wives envied each other, it comes to a boiling point after the birth of Asher to Leah's maidservant, verse 13. Though doubtlessly well known, the unspoken hostility between Rachel and her sister, it finds expression publicly in today's chapter. Verse 14, it begins with a record of the time Rachel requested the mandrakes Reuben found for his mother Leah during the wheat harvest. The mandrake is a Mediterranean plant with blue flowers in the winter and yellow plum-like fruit in the summer. It has been desired in many cultures because of a belief that is an aphrodisiac and it promotes fertility. These qualities, coupled with the fact that it was only rarely found in Paddan Aram where they lived, explains why both Leah and Rachel desired the plant. Rachel herself has not borne any children. Leah has become temporarily infertile, and both are seeking a cure in the mandrake. Again, the primary players in this chapter do not uh, come off at all that positively. Rachel and Leah are both showing superstition by putting their hope in a plant without asking God's blessing on the potential medicine. It's no wonder that Leah accuses Rachel of stealing her husband, since Jacob's profound and sinful neglect of Leah is evident in her willingness to trade the rare mandrakes for just one night with him. And so Rachel, in a sense, prostitutes Jacob by offering him to Leah for the desired fruit, and is plainly more concerned to bear children of her own than she is for her sister's welfare. Both women are willing to barter for relational and sexual intimacy, things that should never be grievously traded. And Moses tells us that God listened to Leah and gave her a son even though her prayer is not recorded. Ironically, the blessing of fertility comes not to the one who ate magical fruit, but to the one who gave it away. And by these two facts, the Lord shows his people that their superstitions are worthless, for he is sovereign over procreation. And still Leah shows us how God often compassionately blesses us when we act manipulatively to uh, get our own way. Now, many passages of Scripture warn the people of God against sorcery, astrology, and other similar practices, like in Exodus 22.18 and Revelation 22.15. Most of us probably do not engage in such things, but superstitions remain part of the lives of many Christians today. Some believers think that praying the same prayer every day will guarantee a certain result. Uh, Take care to cast all superstitions from your life and to trust in the sovereign will of God that is working for your good under the hand of providence. And so uh, before we even look at further at this chapter, we need to see how Genesis 29 through 30 can help us defend the faith. Christian apologists, defenders of the faith, have to deal with attacks on the historical reliability of the Bible, with Genesis being regularly assaulted. 
Now, some suggest believers cannot take the the historicity of the first book of Moses in Genesis too seriously because it was composed long after the events it describes. And yet the evidence against this view is found within the text itself. With Jacob, we again have a patriarch breaking the standards of the Mosaic law for he marries two sisters, which is forbidden in Leviticus 18.18. If Genesis had been written after the law was known in Israel, we would expect the author to leave out Jacob's transgression and present him more favorably. But the patriarch's sin is in full view here, and the best way to account for this fact is to accept that Genesis was written early in Israel's history. Later, man-made oral traditions depict the patriarchs as scrupulous observers of the law, but as we can expect from an inspired test, Genesis presents the true facts. It does not whitewash history. And, and this chapter is, imp- is important for two reasons. First, we have the record of Dinah's birth in Genesis 30, 21. This is unusual as scripture does not often mention the birth of a girl in such context because one's inheritance was not traced through women in those days. And so the reference to Dinah heralds her place in history later on in Genesis 34. And second we have in Genesis 30, 22 through 24, the record of Joseph's birth. He's going to play an important role in the history of the church and is a type of Christ in the way he will save his clan from ruin, as we'll see in Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph's arrival on the scene it also marks a turning point in Jacob's life. After the son is born, he begins seeking to return to the promised land, as we see in Genesis 30:25. Joseph is the first of Rachel's son that she actually bears herself, as opposed to her maidservant. And yet earlier in the narrative, she envied Leah and with little faith took matters into her own hand to get children. And now she recognizes the hand of the Lord. The text says she listened to her in verse 22, proving that Rachel had prayed. And yet Moses mentioned the Lord's remembrance of her before prayer to show us that divine grace initiates all of our blessings. The sovereignty of the Lord in pouring out his blessing has been clear in our study of Genesis 30. No matter what Rachel tried to do with her maidservants or the mandrakes, Leah was still given more children than she was. So we must accept the truth that God dispenses his benefits in the way that he seeks fit. And thus, we must not be jealous of others as Rachel was. We are to seek the Lord in prayer, even as we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, as we see in Romans twelve fifteen. And after uh, uh, Joseph's birth, J- Jacob's attention, it shifts back to his homeland. Seeing how God has been fulfilling his promise to multiply them, Isaac's son is more confident that the Lord will start bringing Canaan into his hands. This is why Jacob speaks of the land possessively. It is his land, my, as he speaks in the first person, when he asks Laban to send him out in Genesis 30, 25-26. Now, Jacob's interaction with Laban at the beginning of our chapter should be understood as a request that his father-in-law send him forth with some material provisions as well as his wives and children. He says in verse 26, You know the service that I have given to you. This is Jacob's way of calling attention to the way that he has benefited Laban. It says, if he's saying, look, Laban, I I have gone above and beyond the call of duty here. What now are you going to do for me as a reward? Laban is not afraid to admit that his wealth is increased by Jacob's wise shepherding. And although uh, Laban has engaged in the forbidden practice of divination, God has overruled his superstition, allowing him to see how divine providence has blessed him. 
His seemingly generous offer to have Jacob name his wages is not an offer to give his son a free gift. Hiding his intent with polite speech, as is customary in many culture, Laban actually means, I have lived up to my bargain to give you my daughters for your 14 years of service. Now, if you want something else, you need to work for it. Uh, Jacob sees through Laban and surely makes an offer his father-in-law cannot resist. Laban's flocks would, would have consisted mainly of pure white sheep and solid-colored goats. Few black lambs or speckled goats would be present. And he readily agrees to give Jacob these animals in exchange for more service. Laban believed the payout would be small, but that his prosperity would be great. And in keeping with this deceitful nature, Laban removes all the animals from his herd that could quickly produce speckled offspring, for he wanted to keep Jacob around longer. But as we're going to see tomorrow, God will give this cheater his just desserts. And though it was often expressed in deceit, Jacob's tenacious nature was an asset for him. The way Laban cheated him with Rachel and Leah was merely a temporary setback. He had the fortitude to press on for what he wanted. Moreover, he would uh, rather work for Laban than go away unable to feed his family. Such perseverance is one mark of discipleship. So if you are tempted to compromise your faith today, you need to remember that we must never give up when looking to God's promises. A fundamental principle for rightly interpreting biblical narratives is that a record of a saint's actions uh, does not always mean God approves of those actions. The Lord may indeed condemn what his servant did uh, even if there was no explicit statement of disapproval. And when his praise is not clearly stated, we, we must be careful about too quickly assuming that God has authorized a particular act. Biblical heroes are worthy of emulation, uh, but we cannot expect their behavior to be infallible. All of them except Christ were sinners. And if we forget this important truth, we might uh, draw false conclusions from our chapter today. As we can see, Jacob does not let Laban's removal of the unusually colored sheep and goats keep him down. Instead, he alters his breeding techniques in the hope of, of yielding his wages. He peels a, b a bark off of some trees to make them speckled with white and then has the goats breed in front of them. In addition, he has the white lambs mate while gazing upon the colored animals. And over time, the offspring of these animals bear increasing numbers of the creatures owed him as a payment. And now, Jacob accepted the common belief of his day that an embryo could be altered based upon what its parents looked like while mating. And notice how Moses does not say that Jacob's increase was due to his technique. In fact, the context of our passage shows us that God worked in spite of what happened. In fact, the Reformation Study Bible notes on verse 39, it calls Jacob's ill-founded theory of animal husbandry. Now, without the Lord's extraordinary intervention, it is difficult to imagine how Jacob's flock could increase so rapidly in the span of six years since Laban removed the most promising specimens for producing his son-in-law's animals. And yet, even Jacob later credits his success to God's hand, not to his own scheming. And so far from uh, affirming some erroneous view of reproduction, this story reminds us of the Creator's invincible will. Once God purposes to bless somebody, nothing can stop him. L Laban could not hold him back, and Jacob could do nothing to take the credit for his success. All the Lord has ordained must come to pass.
And it's a great comfort to know that when the Lord purposes to bless us, there is nothing that can stop him. We who confess the Lord should never take this truth for granted, but live holy lives in gratitude for him choosing us in his marvelous and undeserved grace. And know that Jesus is reigning even now and can bless you in spite of all of your opposition and sin. And so let us thank the Lord Jesus for this marvelous gift of grace and share the hope of this blessing with those who do not yet know him. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is January 30th, and today we've looked at Genesis 30. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.